Hello. Hey, my name is Dawit. Uh, Woohoo. Um, you guys are beautiful, but I wish I, I, I wouldn't be able to see you once we finish. I want to be by the door and I want to hug you all. It'll take us like five hours, but we'd be cool. Um, hey, I, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being here. And praise be to God who is able to gather us here today. The fact that we are Christians and the fact that we are able to be here today, it is not our works. It is the Holy Spirit who's done a tremendous amount of work to captivate our hearts and to bring us to the faith. And also to keep us in the body of Christ to be fully sustained until he comes and take us home. So thank you again for being here. I want to take us through just a quick roadmap in what I'm going to talk about, right? So here's the topic. Where are you, God? Grace in times of trouble. And I'm sure all of us have asked this question in where God is. And the roadmap is this and how are we going to talk about today. I'm going to share my story and I'm going to break my story in four parts. And as I go along through my story, I will talk about four lessons that I've learned in my life through God's grace, how God intervenes during dark times, and then how he shows himself as a real and present God. The roadmap is how we deal with our fears and what our ifs are, with how we deal with our everyday doubts, and when life gets really hard, what do we do? And also when we feel alone at times, how does God shows us his real presence uh, through his word, through his people, also through his church. So, is that cool? Are you going to be okay? Are you going to be all right? All right. All right, let's go. So, my name is Dawit Bokri. I currently serve at a church called Good Shepherd Lutheran, 20 minutes east of San Francisco in a city called Hayward, California. So, if you ended up in the Bay Area, Oakland, San Jose, any part of Silicon Valley, please come by. We'd love to have you. We want to get to know you a little bit better, and we'll eat food together. We eat a lot, and it's fun. Uh, I was born and raised in a country called Eritrea. I'm sure all of you heard this country before, so I'm not even going to go explain it, right? <laughs> no. Uh, it's located in the continent of Africa and the east side by the Red Sea, small country of about 6 million people. Uh, I was born and raised there until I was, I lived there until I was 14 years old, and I came to the States when I was 14. And I'm going to break down my story in four pieces, and I hope in the midst of it I'll be able to share my journey here uh, as well. Uh, but one of the most special things growing up was just, you know, wonderful friends. I played soccer. We ate together. We ate in in, in a community sense, and I grew up in the Lutheran church, so I grew up in the faith. My folks were part of the Lutheran church, so I grew up in church. I was confirmed there, and I, uh, my faith was strengthened through the brothers and sisters that I met there. But I want to talk about this guy. His name is Abraham, one of my best friends since I was four years old. I think we went to school every single day together. We came back from school every day together. And uh, we hang out together, we played soccer together, and his, um, his parents were not Christians. Well, they were Christians, but they never been uh, really active in the church, so he never really went to church with me. And I, every time I come home to, 
from church, I would just spend some time talking to him about how wonderful church was and how great time we had, but he never really paid attention to that part of my, my life. But he was a really, really good friend. And one day I called him to, I, I knocked his door to see if we can go to school together. His mom said he can't go to school today because his dad was sick. And I came back from school, long story short, his dad died. And he was so sad. We were nine years old, both of us. And I didn't know how to comfort my friend, the one that I see every single day, the guy I walked with every single day. And it was really, really sad. But after a few days, I wasn't only sad about his, the death of his dad, but I was terrified about what would happen to me if my dad dies. So that fear crept in in my life. I'm, I'm telling you. I mean, I was terrified. So every single morning I would wake up, check on my dad. If my dad sleeps late on Saturday, I would go and just try to wake him up. I want to just make sure that my dad is not going to die. And every single day my dad comes home from work, he would ride his bike. And I would wait around the the neighborhood to see if my dad makes it home before I go even play. Um, There were days where I learned how to just like hug him even more and Love my dad even more because in that part of the world, if your dad dies, there's no life insurance, there's no savings, nothing. Whatever my dad makes, that's how we all lived. So it was not only emotional, but it's also just economical. Even there's no way my mom would be able to sustain four brothers and two sisters of mine, including myself. So it was really, really hard. It was terrifying. And I want to I come back to you. What are your fears? What are the what ifs that you have in your life today? What are those things where you feel like, oh, man, I, I'm not, I don't know what I'm going to do if that happens. I don't know what I'm going to do if my parents divorce. I don't know what I'm going to do if my friends abandon me. I don't know what I'm going to do if my friends die or sick based on all the story that we heard. So in, in, in this, I, I, I don't know what your fears are. I don't know what your struggles are. I don't know the, the what ifs that you have. But today, I want to I encourage you that courage in the midst of our fear, it comes from outside. There's no way you're going to be able to deal with it from inside. If you have the what ifs in your life, there's no way you're going to be able to overcome it because I was never was able to overcome it. But guess what? Courage is a baptized fear. See, when your fear got baptized, when you were baptized, the Lord has automatically bestowed his courage for you to deal with it in the midst of what ifs. And what we do is we look outside of ourselves to the very Savior that was crucified, the one who was a courageous Savior, the one who rose from the dead. He's not just a Lord, but he's a victorious God. Even if our our what ifs tends to become so real from day to day, your savior is a risen king. And I did not know that when I was nine years old. So I was terrified every single day. So my prayer and my encouragement is as you depart this room today, whatever what ifs that you have, you may be able to close down your hotel room or you might even get inside your restroom. Whatever you may have a chance to, to be alone. Declare the promises of your Savior who's able to overcome all your fears and what ifs. Even if all the things that we fear comes true and they show up to be real, our Lord is more real than you can imagine. So my number one lesson for us today 
is our fears can be great, but God's grace is even greater. Amen? God's grace is even greater because grace is a free gift of God, not only to just show up, but also to be present throughout all. God has promised himself to be real without you doing anything, and for that is the true grace of God, not only to give us his spirit, but to be with us in the midst of our what-ifs. So lesson number one, our fears can be great, but God's grace is even greater. And I don't know what your fears are again, but God's grace is greater than that. And I don't want to leave you with some cliche, but just keep declaring this promise of God to you and to those who are around you. Keep showing up to the presence of the body of Christ. Keep showing up to the presence of the saints. Be together with one another and remind each other according to the promises of God. We call it in theology, mutual conciliation. That you may remind one another, that we may remind one another, even in the midst of our, our ifs, our Lord is greater than our fears. Where are you, God? Um, this is my mom and my dad. They're pretty cool, huh? Check out that veil, though. It's like split up in four. It's cool. Um, my parents were like really the backbone of our church community, our community around our area. Um, they were really wonderful. I've, uh, one of the special things, especially about my dad was that he, um, he laughed, he was extremely inclusive to those people who were around him, and uh, he would show up every single day at 7 p.m. at the house, right? Every day, 7 p.m., religiously would show up. And we'd get together and we would sing old hymns and we would, we would, he would remind us that God is our inheritance. And every now and then he would say, I'm sorry, kids, I, I didn't do well in life. I'm not going to be able to leave you anything. But my hope is that I'm leaving you God, that he will be your inheritance. Um, and that was a tremendous reminder. There are days where I tend to want to cry because, I mean, you wouldn't want to be a father in saying that. But to be honest, there's nothing more a father can give to his own children than the inheritance of Christ who is the, the one who sustains our lives and our hopes. Um, long story short, my dad died uh, when I was 11 years old. So my fear did came true. And uh, I think he got, he had, he had a car accident and somebody hit him on his way home, on his way coming to the house. And uh, I was playing outside, all his coworkers and family were showing up. And then my mom was inside the house. I'm like, what's going on? All my dad coworkers are here. And then they said, hey, where's your mama? I said, she's inside. Are we okay? They said, yeah, we good. So they got inside. They told my mom. I, I remember my mom just fainting down and all my brothers went crazy. I just sat on the floor. I was like, dude, God, where, where are you? My doubts start creeping in. And many of us have different kind of doubts. There's two kind of doubts. One of us probably struggle, many, some of us probably struggle with if God is real or not. That could be probably your doubt. And some of us struggle if God is really good or not. I don't know which one you are. If you're doubting whether God is real or not, whether he exists or not, or whether your fear, is, I mean, your doubts are more about whether God is good or not. And I doubt it. 
if God was good or not. Because I've seen him enough. I know he's for sure real. I know he's all-powerful. I've seen him since a young age showing up in the times of need and showing up in the times of despair. But I'm, I wasn't sure whether he's really good or not. And that doubt continued for a couple of years. My question to you again, what are your doubts? Do you doubt whether God is good or not? Are you like me? Or are you the one that is just kind of concerned whether even if he is real or not? Here's the first thing I want to get out of the way. You're not alone. Can we look to our left and right and say you're not alone? Can we say that to each other? You're not alone. Take a chill pill. You're okay. You're not alone. Right? We're, not, we're not alone in being doubting his goodness. And we're not alone in doubting who he is or if he is real or not. But one of the messages of the Christian faith, one of the most incredible formations of our faith, is that we tend to look towards Jesus the existence of God here on earth in flesh, the one who dwells in the midst of us. In him, we look to find whether God is real or not, or we, to him we look to find whether God is good or not. You see, his sacrificial death has brought a, a, sense, of, a sense of hope to the rest of humanity to see if God is good or not. Is he willing to let himself down for the sake of those he loves, according his preachings? But when we doubt, this is how the scripture instructed us. So let me take you through just the story of St. John the Baptist. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with St. John the Baptist. St. John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus. He was born to a Mary's family member, his mom, and his dad was a priest in the first century. And John the Baptist was one of those men that Jesus proclaimed to be. There is no greater man than St. John the Baptist. I mean, Jesus, I mean, just think about it. Put your name in that. If Jesus shows up in the middle of, I don't know, in the middle of your town and be like, there's no greater woman than this woman. I mean, that's a big deal. That's a testimony of the maker of heaven and earth. John the Baptist, who was a great man who has baptized hundreds of thousands of people in Israel. The man who has an ability and courage to challenge the powers and authority of Israel, he was once arrested. And once he was arrested, he start doubting, just like all of us. And um, he start wondering if, if Jesus is real or not. So he sent a messenger to Jesus, and the messenger said, Lord... John the Baptist, our brother, is asking a question. Are you the one who sh we should expect or somebody else is coming? Because you sure doesn't look like the king of heaven and earth has arrived. I am in prison. People are still suffering. And Jesus responded with an incredible courage. He says, just tell John what you are seeing, what you have witnessed, right? So if you have a doubt, don't keep it to yourself. Send it to Jesus. Even the greatest man that was witnessed by Jesus himself sent his doubt to Jesus. So I don't know what kind of doubts you have. If it's within those two categories, send them to Jesus 
for he is real and present to respond according to needs that you have and according his will for you to be able to be sustained in the true faith, for you to be able to overcome your doubts, and for you to be able to overcome the doubts that you're facing today. Are we going to completely overcome our whole entire doubt? No. Can you turn to your right and tell everyone around you and say, send your doubt to Jesus. Send your doubt to Jesus. Let us send our doubts to Jesus. Um, but don't keep it to yourself. Don't keep doubting. Just on your own, it was not meant for you to deal with that alone. Even John the Baptist has sent his doubts to Jesus. Jesus invites us to bring our doubts to him. When my dad died, it just kind of felt like the whole world was collapsing. And my brothers were required to join the, uh, the Eritrean military for this requirement if you're 18 or above. And it was just my sister and I left at home and... We, we, I think I could see my mom trying to encourage us and empower us, and she was doing everything that a Christian uh, is ought to do, right? Like, she gathers us, and she prayed, and she reminded us that God the Father in heaven, the one who will never die, is our main father, our creator, our former. So she kind of shared the gospel with us, and, and even to, to the point where the man who killed my father, he did it by accident, but he made a mistake. He was trying to exit a parking lot without pain, and he was rushing, and my dad was crossing the street on his bike, so he killed him. And, and according to the law of the, the country I grew up, the parents can actually press charges, receive money, and ask for that man to be arrested. And my mom refused to do that. She said, we don't have money, but we're still not going to expect any money from him. We not, I'm not going to press charges because... Uh, because she wanted to show mercy, and a lot of members of our family were upset when my mom made that decision. Uh, but when she talked to us, she said, you know what? We, we don't really get an opportunity to forgive others at that level of capacity. So this is our chance to show what God has done for us. So mama was just, I mean, as Christian as you can get, right? Super merciful and super encouraging. But I, I could tell deep in the inside she was struggling with the same doubts that I had. But it's just in a different level because, um, you know, her maturity and her, her life experience. And, um, and not only that, she, we didn't have a lot, but she loved on caring for people. There was, a, there was a night, it was an evening that I was, I was watching a movie and my mom made me get come to the kitchen, and then she said, I need you to take this to this lady that comes in, help out every now and then in our neighborhood. And I was so upset. I didn't want to walk at 9 p.m., about 45 minutes walk. So <sighs> I was a bit upset and not comfortable, but, you know, it's mom. I said, okay. I left, walked 45 minutes, got to the house. I knocked the door. Uh, the lady opened the door. She was wondering what happened. Um, 11 years old, just showed up at 9.45 or so. And I said, hey, mama gave you this. So it was a huge bag that I was carrying. And I didn't even pay attention what it was in it. She opened it. She saw it. She fell in the ground holding my feet, crying. I'm like, dude, what did mom send? And I looked. It was, it was dinner. And the lady has six kids. She lost her husband. She didn't have anything to feed him for two days. But then she was praying that God would hear the prayers of her kids. 
in her prayers. And somehow mom felt it was the right time to send food to that lady. Dude, I went home crying. I've never hogged my mom the way I hugged her that day. I said, Mama, you're an angel. How did you know? She said, what happened? I told her the story. She said, I don't know. Just in my heart, I felt like I need to care for someone. I'm like, you have you thought about like what is going on in our life? Somebody should care for you, but so mom was just incredible. But like I said, the doubts and the pain really did continue. Two years later, my mom died of cancer. She just couldn't handle it. It was, it was a lot. Uh, darkness came. I think our whole family just felt like it was falling apart. Um, life is hard, but we still have a reason to give thanks. And that's my reminder for you today. As you, as you face life's troubles, our temptation is to understand the reason behind our suffering. That's our temptation. Especially in the world that we live in, in the Western world, that's how we think. We want to understand what is causing climate change, what is causing uh, a political unrest, what is causing economical disasterness in the country or in the world. We try to understand a lot of things. You will never be able to understand why suffering occur, but that's our temptation. But instead, the scripture invites us to look to Jesus again and again in his words and in his promises, for he has suffered the same suffering that we are experiencing today. So we have a God that understands where we are going through, the things that we are struggling, the things that we are suffering in. So we are invited in Hebrew chapter 4, when you go home to your hotel tonight, I want to encourage you to read it, that he keep pulling us towards the cross and says the one who his skin was ripped out of his body, the one who was sunk, completely crucified in the cross, the one who showed his whole entire creation, how broken he has become for them. He understands your suffering. He understands your pain. So when life hits real, really, really hard, you've been called to look to Jesus again and again. And again, I know this is not the most comforting thing. There was a, there was a time we've heard when I was growing up, uh, there was like a war in the neighboring country, and uh, we felt like a neighboring country attacked the city, so we felt like there was a bombing in the city. And my dad asked all of us to go underneath my, my parents' bed, like it's going to protect us from a bombing F-35, right? We went underneath, and we're like, Dad, seriously, what's going to happen? And he's like, well, if we die, Jesus will raise us from the dead. I'm like, dude, are you serious? Like, you, you couldn't find anything comforting than that? <laughs> like, that's, that's the last thing you have in mind? And, and it's, it kills me to, to be the same person now. But it's the truth. The hope that we have is in Christ alone. He's our rock and our foundation. It is to whom that we look to deal with our Struggles, it is in whom that we look to deal with the poisonous of life and the brokenness of our reality. Since my family thinks someone is missing, but look at me with that yellow shirt, though, huh? Super bright. This was my sister's wedding. Uh, 
And I, I ended up going back to Eritrea to celebrate the wedding. And it, it was hard. We were all crying. We wished that my mom and my dad were able to be there and to see it all, to see that we made it, that we are okay, and that, that God has been an incredible parent to us, that he protected us. And on that day, instead of crying, we continuously reminded each other, you know what, let's give thanks. Let's give thanks to the Lord who never abandons his children. Let us give thanks to the Lord who never abandons his own. Let us give to the... Thanks to the Lord, the one who's real and present at all times. And in the moments of our praise and thanksgiving, the Holy Spirit comes in the midst of us, in our worship time, in our family time, in our devotion time, in the midst of praise and thanksgiving, the Holy Spirit pours himself again and again to remind us that the hope that we have in him is everlasting hope. Last but not least, um, I came to America. Uh, I played soccer in high school in Boston in the house or New England in the house. Nobody came from New England? Well, that's 13 colonies, man. That's crazy. <laughs> we better move our NYG to, to the East Coast. Uh, I went to school. I went to high school in Boston, and this was my soccer team. It's just a combination of people from different parts of the world. <laughs> Funny part, beside the two white people you see, none of us can speak English at this moment. <laughs> right? So we just show up. Soccer is an international language. You can understand one another. We were friends to each other. I didn't even know how we were talking to each other. It took about two years once I get to high school to, to comprehend the language and to learn English. And I felt extremely lonely. I came from a world where everyone is extrovert, right? Like it feels like everyone is an extrovert. And I showed up at a massive high school with 4,000 students, a huge city, and I don't speak the language. So even if I put any efforts that I have, there's no way I can communicate to anybody. And I think at that moment was that I, I, I think my sadness even grew bigger than I thought. It felt like, man, God, what have you done? In Boston, homies, it's dark. Boston gets, it's so cold. And then the sun goes out by like 3 p.m.? And I grew up in East Africa where there was no snow, so I just showed up. And one of the funny stories were, like, this, there, I don't know if you come from a snowy cities, but there's, like, snow days, right? Like, you don't go to school and during snow days. And nobody told me that I need to watch TV or listen to some kind of announcements prior to that. So every single day for a whole year, when it was actually pronounced as a, when it was announced that it was a snow day, I didn't know. So I showed up to school. Every time. Take two buses, showed up outside. The, the guy who shovels, he's like, son, no school. I'd be like, no school? No school. I'm like, no school. He's like, no school. Go home. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> so I just, <laughs> I'll just go home. And I'm like, man, how the heck did I not know? 4,000 people knew not to show up to school. I struggled for a year. After a year, I had a friend who was right next to my locker room. And I'm like, Hey, how do you, like, this, this is when I learned how to speak English. I'm like, how do you know not to show up to school? And she's like, dude, just turn on Channel 7 every morning before you leave. Uh, it took about two years, like I said. Uh, that loneliness that I felt uh, was not only uh, because I couldn't make any friends, but also I left my family, my brothers and sisters. I, I'm in a, in a town that I can't really relate. I didn't even know what I was doing, how I ended up there. I was adapted by my 
father's younger brother, my uncle, uh, because once my parents died, all of my brothers and sisters were above age. There was no one to take care of me. So my, my brothers and sisters kind of sold everything they have to make sure that I, I get out of the country and pursue a bigger future, a better future. I showed up. It was dark. I got a job at 7-Eleven. That's a, a typical immigrant job, by the way. Uh, if you don't have that job, you're not really part of the immigrant community. Uh, but I, I got my first job at 7-Eleven literally like two weeks after I, I entered America. I worked 40 hours every single week and went to school every single week. Tried to make friends and tried to play soccer, tried to, tried to comprehend what's just happened in my life. One morning I was with my mom, my dad, my sisters, my brother. Over three years period, dad died, mom died, I left the country. I'm in Boston out of all places and trying to figure life out and I'm working at 7-Eleven. Uh, and I couldn't find a church. Um, so I asked around, after a year I found a church in downtown Boston by Back Bay. It's called First Boston Lutheran. I went there, sat there, and um, have you noticed how our Lutheran churches don't really hug a lot? <laughs> and I came from a world where everybody hugs each other. Uh, so I sat there, I was like hoping somebody will come and hug me and tell me what to do. Uh, nobody really even looked. And it was not their fault, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not blaming them, that's just their cultural norm. You just show up to church, you sit, and you listen, and you leave. You don't go out of your way to talk to a weird guy named Dawit. Like, that's not a norm. So I did. I sat down. I sat through the service every single Sunday. Didn't understand a word. I mean, I knew, like, Jesus and Holy Spirit. Every time he says something, I'm like, oh, he's talking about Jesus, you know? Um, and because I grew up in a very liturgical church, I can also follow the whole service, even though it's in a different language. So I knew what was going on just beside the sermon. And I take communion, and I walk out, and I say, God, I know you're real. It doesn't feel like you're real, though. I feel like you're a million miles away. I'm not only feeling lonely for not having friends, but I'm feeling alone and fully abandoned by you. Um, we all feel alone at times, but Jesus is real. Jesus is present, God. I, I don't know how you are feeling at the moment, not exactly right now, but when you were alone by yourself with your friends and those who are around you. Here's what God's um, design is for us. There's, there's two kinds of um, isolations that we face. Some of us want it to be isolated on our, for, for, for our own reason, but by ourselves. We, we want to just be isolated. We don't want to be with people. So we tend to separate ourselves from a community. We don't want to be in charge. In school, we have very little amount of friends or little contact with people. We rather get to our room, shut our doors, and have the 6,000 followers on our Instagram. I mean, I'm not blaming you if, you have, if you're that famous. Dude, talk to me. I need help. Uh, but some of us, we tend to want to be isolated for different reasons. And some of us are isolated without our choice. Just people isolate us because of our look, our faith, our confession, how we act or who we are, whatever the reasons are. Here's, I don't know if you watch National Geography. I mean, many of you are in high school, so you don't do that in high school. But if you do watch the National Geography, you'll see like wolves when the way they, they pre their, um, their meal of the day is they tend to separate them first. They don't attack them when they're in a, in a herd. But they wait, they come, and they identify the weakest, the one who desires to be isolated, or the ones that are lost track of following their crowd, and they attack. 
That's how Satan attacks his people, God's people. The way he attacks us is he separates us, he isolates us. And I want to pray and I want to encourage you tonight, if you are that person that isolates your own self because of your pain and your struggle and your own uh, suffering that you're facing, that you'd rather be alone than being with people, I wanted to encourage you to, to get out of that. That is not the command of our Savior. Many of you are in confirmation classes. You, you understand what means of grace is, right? In baptism, God has incorporated you to the body of Christ. Through the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, he preserves our faith every day. But also the, the third one, mutual consolation. That is when we are together and sharing encouragement toward one another. That is means of grace. That's how God transports his grace to us. So if you're feeling alone and if you're doing it by choice, Get out of that comfort and get to the uncomfortable world that you feel like you do not want to jump in. Because if you are alone, the enemy will strike. But God has designed his church to mutually counsel one another, to encourage each other. And if you are a person that struggles of separation from others, not by your choice, but because people are pushing you away, I pray that your church may become a place to start, a place where you're open and vulnerable to those who are around you in church, to those who are uh, faithful to Christ, those who are willing to accept you, those who are willing to deal with you. And don't hide anything about your, your problem that why people are pushing you away. No, be vulnerable. Guess what? Your greatest witness about Jesus is actually your weakness. The more vulnerable you are, you'll be the greatest witness to those who are around you. So open up your hearts, share your thoughts, share your struggle with those who are around you for your greatest witness about who Jesus is for you and I. It is our weakness. Today I'm not here to share my strength, but I'm here to share my weakness. For I am weak, but my Savior is strong. For I am poor, but my Savior is rich. I am lost, but I've been found by him. I wish I could hear each story that you have. And knowing myself, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for a restricted program, I would sit here listening to all of you today. Because you have a beautiful story. You have an incredible story. God is at work in your life today in the midst of your story. And I know your story might be super ugly story like mine or even worse. But Jesus has redeemed your story and has given you a new story. And that new story is you are not lost, but you are found. You are not abandoned, but your Savior is present. You are not poor, but you are rich in him. You are not just weak. Your Savior is your strength. I pray that as Psalms 46 that's been read to us last night in the mass event, that even though your life may seem to be falling apart and beyond repair at times, Jesus is your refuge and strength, and he is your very present help in trouble. Therefore, fear not. The Lord of hosts is with you, and the God of Jacob is yours. 
and he is your fortress now and forever. May Jesus Christ, our Lord, who redeemed you, may God the Father who created you, may the Holy Spirit who sustains you continue to empower you to overcome your doubts and fear, for he is real and present. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.